Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Min Kim, co-founder of the Icon Foundation, a public blockchain network. We'll be talking about how they are working on projects all throughout the world, including in South Korea, and how what they're doing can be used for things like digital identities and contact tracing. So don't go away. In this week's tech news, I first want to talk about the ongoing dispute between the U.S. government and apps like TikTok or WeChat. A judge has granted a stay, so those apps are still available in U.S. app stores like Apple and Google. One of the weird things is that the Trump administration seemed to be advocating or supporting Oracle and Walmart forming a partnership to control the U.S. operations of TikTok. There is still a lot more to this than we can report on right now. Oracle and Walmart was not expected since originally it was discussed to be Microsoft and Walmart. And so it just shows you how complex these issues are and what the Chinese want in terms of how WeChat and TikTok are allowed to be used on an ongoing basis. Also, what was big news this week is that the Federal Reserve announced that they had been working on a digital dollar. And it's not anywhere close to fruition, but they did say, the Board of Governors of of the Federal Reserve, that they've been researching this for a number of years. They've been doing a partnership with MIT, as well as the Boston Fed, the New York Fed, and the Bank of International Settlements. Uh, We talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency a lot on the show, and whether you support it or you don't support it, my personal feeling is that we are still, as a society, both in the U.S. and in the rest of the world, we will be coming to a point where digital currencies will be widely accepted. So feel free to drop us a line at info at svn.biz to tell me how you feel about that. The last story I want to mention is that on Tuesday, September 29th, I'll be hosting a free webinar with the Federal Reserve of Boston on the USA Main Street Lending Program. As you recall, the PPP loan forgiveness program was halted in August. And so the USA Main Street Lending Program, while not forgivable, might be a good option for your business. If you can't make the webinar, you can always register to see the webcast again. So just go to the svin.biz website for more information. I hope to see you there. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Min Kim, co-founder of the Icon Project. Welcome, Min. Hi, how are you? So Min, uh, I really loved learning about your background. Um, You've done a lot of things. Uh, Besides being a barrier resident right now, um, you were an investment banker for Deutsche. How does going from investment banker to Deutsche to being a COO of Tapas Media have you land squarely in the blockchain industry with the Icon Project? I mean, it's a very interesting, it was a very interesting journey, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you look at my kind of 15 year career, I've been focused in tech side of things. So started off my career in tech banking, 
working with global internet companies like Alibaba and AOL Time Warner. Then, you know, I switched gears. Uh, a lot of people in this Bay Area, they switch gears and do something else. So I had this urge to do something very different. Uh, joined the startup scene and I founded a couple of companies. Some did well, some didn't. And also, also joined as an executive in a couple of other companies. So, and then all of, all of a sudden, I'm now got into more fintech side of things. I got into blockchain and crypto when I joined one of the largest fintech companies in South Korea as a chief strategy officer. That was back in 2015. We raised about $100 million in equity. Then we acquired a bunch of companies, over 20 of them. One of the companies was a crypto exchange, and obviously I had to learn a lot about blockchain and crypto. So, so it, everything was sort of a natural progression. I, I didn't force any career changes. I still enjoy the stock market. I still enjoy finance and banking side valuation. A lot of these things I still apply to what I do today. But um, you know, I just go with the flow and just go with where my career takes me and where the opportunities take me. So. You know, I, I would say everything was sort of a natural progression. Well, that, that's the best journey. Uh, a lot of parallels. In 2013, I was uh, managing director of third party and tech risk at MUFG, the Bank of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. We were, hey, what's this crypto thing? And so that's probably when I <laughs> first started looking into it uh, more academically. What is cryptocurrency and blockchain mean to a large bank, but I can definitely see the parallel in the journey. Um, for me, we were not allowed to touch uh, officially cryptocurrency, so there's no no hidden accounts or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I think the interesting part of what you were working on is, and also an aside, is South Korea was actually per capita, I think, the largest holder of cryptocurrencies in the world. All right. So, I think back in 2016, cryptocurrencies really took off. A lot of that was actually led by the crypto exchange that we were uh, operating back then called CoinOne. We listed uh, Ethereum and we were one of the very few exchanges that um, actually had Ethereum on our exchange. Other cryptocurrency exchanges in Korea didn't even know you could do this. They were only trading Bitcoin. Uh, so it just nat- like all of a sudden everything just naturally took off. Uh, at one point, the exchange was was trading about sixty seven percent of global volume of of ether. Wow. So yeah, a lot of that kind of hype came started from the exchange that we were operating, and you know everything else is history now. Yeah, I mean there, there's other stories too. How at the time where Bitcoin was close to $20,000 per coin. It was actually, I think they said in South Korea, it cost 26,000 actually to mine that mm-hmm. coin based on energy costs and other factors. But really really just to um, speak to the country and the people that they were very forward thinking at the time. Yeah, I mean, Korea is one of the countries where people are very highly educated. So very dense population wise, everyone lives in Seoul. Uh, things pick up very quickly through word of mouth when Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies kind of started taking off, it, it really blew up very quickly. Today, Tesla is very similar, where Tesla stock, it just blew up in Korea. I think the country of Korea and the citizens, you know, kind of put together, they own, you know, I think, I forget the latest figures, but it's in the billions. They're like the one of the top 
10 holders, like cumulatively uh, together. So with just the final minute we have left in the first segment, I do want to touch really quickly that the project you're working on is now called Icon. Mm-hmm. And that is what, I'll, what I refer to as kind of a unifying blockchain platform to tap into other blockchains. When we get back, we're going to do a deeper dive into Icon being the first Korean government sanctioned blockchain project, correct? I want to say sanctioned, but I would say we partner with a lot of the government offices and departments to bring blockchain technology to the masses. I, I get it. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how that works. You're listening mm-hmm. to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today is Min Kim, co-founder of the Icon Project. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider Radio Show and Podcast. My special guest today is Min Kim, who is a co-founder of the Icon Project. Welcome back, Min. Hi. So, Min, what is the Icon Project? So, Icon Project is an interoperable blockchain that connects both a public and private blockchains. Um, just to kind of take a step back and kind of start from the very beginning, in 2016, our fintech company incubated and spun off an enterprise blockchain company called Icon Loop. It was previously known as The Loop. Then in 2017, I led the founding of the Icon Foundation in Zurich, Switzerland, where we launched a public blockchain project. It's an open source project where anybody can join and build applications on top of this public blockchain. And this project, we called it Icon, and we raised about 30 to 45 million, depending on the Ether price uh, back then. So we have like two entities. We have an Icon Foundation in Switzerland, and we have a company called Icon Loop in South Korea. And the relationship is similar to Linux and Red Hat, Mm-hmm. to say so we built this new public chain uh, blockchain network icon is a dpos deliberative proof of stake based decentralized network that can be used by anyone to build uh, applications we have about 125 validators from different countries from all of the world uh, operating to secure and build this network and like i said the there's a Korean entity called Icon Loop, which most people are in our community is familiar with, but it's a for-profit company that is helping to build revenue generating enterprise application uh, on top of this public blockchain Icon network. Uh, so this means that again, the Icon public blockchain is an interoperable blockchain that connects both kind of public and private blockchains together. Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, what's interesting is when we talk about DPoS or delegated proof of stake, mm-hmm. there's always the fear, let, let's just use EOS as a comparison, that somehow uh, there will be vote pooling pooling, or that um, other ways to gain, in essence, control the network. How is ICON similar or different? 
Um, I would say all DPS networks, you know, have that fear. So it depends on what kind of culture, what kind of, you know, entities and teams that we bring on in order to kind of alleviate that, those type of concerns. I think for us, what makes us kind of unique and different is that uh, unlike EOEOs, I think we have a certain kind of governance structure in place so that we uh, like something like vote buying or where we could fairly distribute the power amongst the the holders, uh, our community members, I think gives us that uh, advantage. And so far, I mean, we're continually experimenting with the governance systems, but you know, our in- ultimate goal is to incentivize good behavior, and we've been experimenting on that front. And what I really find interesting with the Icon project is not just the interoperability between uh, other blockchain networks, but that it's something that um, you're really partnering with governments and other public and private entities to create that ecosystem. Can you discuss that a little bit? Yes, of course. I mean, that is sort of the bread and butter of why ICON uh, started. I mean, we were born out of enterprise blockchain projects, and we decided to build the ICON network once our enterprise partners started to get more and more interested in a public blockchain network. So. You know, today uh, for enterprise application, we've been experimenting with so many proof of concepts over the past several years in the healthcare industry, with education industry, governments, and so on. But now we've learned that there's a lot of potential and opportunities in the digital identity or decentralized identity space. So we're now laser focused on trying to solve that problem. So most recently we announced that the local government of Korea's largest island called Jeju Island, we, I mean, they're now using our blockchain technology for COVID-19 contact tracing. Oh, wow. So we use both ICON's public network and also a private network to be able to offer both privacy and security uh, of a public network, along with the stability and scalability of a private network. So, You know, I think today one of the biggest challenges of a just using a public network like ICON or EOS or any other layer one protocols or is that, you know, we have scalability issues. So one of the ways we're designing our architecture is to allow scalability by connecting with a private network. So that's one example of a how we're working with the government to solve real issues that we're facing today. We also announced one of the largest banks in Korea is now using blockchain for KYC authentication. However, the implication of this announcement is actually much larger because this digital ID issued by the banks has the potential to become Korea's primary national ID system. The government recently, so there's a little bit of history here, Mm -hmm. government in Korea has had a centralized digital ID system in place for the past 20 years, which has made made the citizens the experience of using or purchasing items or using the banking system in in Korea very inconvenient because you have to download a Windows-specific software, security software. You have to install it to your 
your laptop, your computer, and it was like a very, very messy process that people had to go through. So it was a very, very painful process. So they got rid of that finally after almost 20 years. And now this national ID competition is, uh, is brewing in South Korea because they're now allowing private sector to come in and compete to create a better system. And banks naturally have the most credible ID system due to the tight KYC regulation. So you know how when you walk into a bank, every uh, customer of banks has, has to go through KYC. And that makes the, the banking ID system a lot more credible versus something like Facebook, where anybody could log in and you know, create their own uh, accounts, right? So the Facebook Connect is not as credible as a ID system that a bank would have. So you know, we're in this kind of special position in South Korea where we're the only company that is partnered with banks and currently officially licensed by the FSC, which is equivalent to SEC of Korea to allow uh, to build a national ID system. So that's, that's been one of our most recent projects. Yeah, and then there's like several others that's been very interesting uh, in the ID space that we're doing. Uh, we're actually announcing a, a big news today where we're partnering with the largest job search company and we'll begin using the ICON public blockchain to add more credibility and transparency to the job candidates recruiting process. So we'll be, you know, I think by this, by the time this uh, show is out, the, the news will, will be out. But, you know, I think this is a big deal because there's, you know, a lot of fraud and fraudulent activity that happens when somebody applies for a job. Yeah. And we're trying to make that process a lot more clearer. And in the US, we've seen, you know, the, 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 the process of uh, celebrities getting, you know, cheating their way into universities, or, you know, yeah. a lot of this is super interesting in that um, we've covered a lot about digital identity for the Bank of Tokyo for MEFG, I actually had as part of my responsibility, yeah. um, the umbrella of KYC which is Know Your Customer, BSA, Bank Secrecy Act, and anti-fraud, AML, anti-money laundering. Right. These are certain, very important, and it's, it's at the root of why many governments were originally concerned about blockchain itself without any controls, because that's where a lot of the assumptions around money laundering or other nefarious activities happen. And now right. we talk about the whole concept of digital identity that people, especially in the United States, want to know that if their information, like their bank, that the information is being protected. And oftentimes, um, banks are not the ones in the United States who leak information. The most normal way your information is being leaked is through your medical provider or something like mm -hmm. Equifax, which isn't a real bank. It's more of a, of a financial-related company. So when we come back, I want to stay on this topic a little bit and then talk about some of the use cases because I think I think this is super interesting and that people are just very, very concerned about their privacy. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My special guest today is Min Kim, who is the co-founder of the Icon Project. Uh, we're talking all about how Icon is interoperating with other blockchain systems, but actually specific use cases, especially in areas like privacy and security. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 
888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Min Kim, co-founder of the Icon Blockchain Network, or Icon Foundation. We've been talking about the public and private partnership between the government and individual corporations and how they apply technology. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk again about insider threats. So a recent announcement is that Shopify had two rogue employees that were targeting certain customers on its platform to obtain sensitive data. If you know what Shopify is, the e-commerce platform, there's over 1 million customers and they did over $200 billion with their transactions last year. And it's a big deal. And so when I talk about insider threats, I want you to think of an analogy of an egg. So even the most advanced companies in the world, sometimes you can think of them as an egg where there's a hard outer shell and a very soft, squishy middle. If you think about the Twitter breach a month ago, that is where over a thousand Twitter employees have access to these accounts. They weren't necessarily doing anything nefarious, but they had access levels that they didn't need to have. So here's the tip, especially during this time of lockdown, as we're doing a lot more remote work, employees who don't have bad intentions are even using things like Zoom and Slack and they're collaborating. These are all more vectors to exfiltrate data. Now, if you think about people who are actively thinking about how to steal the information, you have to really just be cognizant that you don't open up your access to everyone. Put in the proper process and controls to make sure you know why somebody has access to what and use tools that can limit this type of access. Do an audit to make sure you know why Bob or Sally has the level of access they do and start to take those extra things away. Again, as I mentioned with the Twitter example, there were over a thousand employees who had access to things they didn't even have access to. So as you go through this, it doesn't matter if you're a large company or a small company, you can go through the effort of making sure that you have the right things locked down. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with my special guest, Min Kim, who is a co-founder of the Icon Project. Early in the show, we talked about Min's background 15-year technology and investment career, ultimately leading up to being a co-founder in the Icon Project. Welcome back, Min. Hello. So earlier, we were talking a lot about your background, how the Icon Project got started. It is a interoperable network of blockchains. And we got into really provocative discussion, as we often do when it comes to blockchain as a technology, not purely as a cryptocurrency that we start talking about digital identity and sovereign identity. We're talking about some of the work that your company is doing or your organization's doing with governments. And so we said even that uh, there's a contact tracing application with an island in Korea and how there's a national competition to revamp their digital ID. Before Mm -hmm. we continue on with that, there's a real fear, especially in the United States with data privacy, data security, that moving our identities on the digital doesn't make it more secure. And there's a lot of misunderstanding what blockchain is. So why don't we talk a couple minutes about how is moving my digital identity onto a blockchain properly? How is that more secure than me just having a physical driver's license or physical passport? Right. 
I mean, that's a good question. I think whenever we talk about sovereign ID or digital ID, you know, the normal public, I mean, we're confused on what we actually mean. So, you know, I would like to kind of break it down to try to make that concept very easy. So right now, today, we have various forms of identity, but the most credible identity that we have is our passport and our uh, driver's license, because these are government issued. There's only one copy of your passport or authentic copy at least, and there's one authentic copy of your driver's license. There are no other copies other than the ones that you keep in your house or the one that you carry around in your wallet. So in the digital world today, we're spending our time around, you know, digital shopping malls, internet shopping malls, or where, you know, there's different places that, you know, that requires you to, for, for uh, you know, it'll be better if the companies know exactly who you are, but it's difficult to kind of show them your identity or your passport. So right now, sort of that kind of middle solution is we take photos of our passport or, or driver's license and we submit it. And that has been good enough for um, these banks to verify who you are or these companies to verify who you are. But that still has a lot of security holes because you know, it doesn't really solve the problem. So what the blockchain actually does is it blockchain is meant to build to uh, it's a great technology to get rid of this uh, double spending problem. So blockchain ensures very similar to a physical ID, there is one physical digital ID in your uh, mobile wallet. So in, in your mobile phone, so you could actually a government or an entity could actually issue a digital passport and give it to you. And it would blockchain would make sure there's only one copy in, in your, uh, in your, I guess, possession. So that is what makes sovereign ID using blockchain technology very unique. And that, that makes it very different because you cannot make additional digital copies of it. And I think that definitely solves for people that are trying to spoof you, scam you, steal your financial assets. But then there's that whole other spectrum of people that want to stay anonymous. So the people who are still using cash. So, and I think there's other use cases where a blockchain implemented properly, you can still be known digitally, but be anonymized physically. What are your thoughts on that? So there are ways and techniques to do this. Even in a centralized uh, system, I think you've seen how Apple ID is a centralized way of uh, keeping your information private to you while creating a different email accounts to be used uh, for other third-party websites. Uh, similarly, you could create a similar experience in a, in a decentralized world, in a blockchain world, where you, know, you, you, know, you have a copy of your ID to your possession, but you control the information that you want to give to third parties. So if you don't want to give any information to a third party, but there is a, another third party that could uh, confirm who you are with some of the encrypted information, there are ways to do this. And that is exactly what we're actually doing in South Korea with this Jeju Island uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, tracing application, where uh, as an individual, you will be holding your own identity ID in your wallet. And when you visit different 
attractions or your restaurants, you're required to check in. Mm -hmm. But when you check into these places, you're not actually giving your uh, personal information. What we do is we actually provide encrypted information so that when actual uh, you know, accidents or when there's any confirmed cases of COVID-19, you know, we could actually uh, trace it back to you. Um, but when, during the actual process, there's no actual personal information that is exchanged. And that's powerful. And also when you implement it properly, there's also a whole nother subset of folks that want to take control of their own information and data. And once they're empowered to do that, they can actually decide at some point, we think that there's a, a use case where people can uh, opt in to sell their data to like, um, you know, a medical case research study or something like that, instead of not knowing or not being able to control how your data is being used. So I think there's always just the, whenever the new technology comes out, there's always a misunderstanding. The technology has to develop, but once developed properly, then you will see the benefits of that. And that's exactly how we got to, you know, credit cards originally. Right. So, so I think that's great. You know, what I wanted to also talk about is where is the ICON project going next? What are some of the focus areas specifically? I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with blockchain. But what are some of the key areas you think that ICON will, will be helpful in? Yeah. So, you know, I think we've talked a lot about today about the enterprise side, side of things. So uh, our uh, for-profit entity in South Korea called ICON Loop, you know, going forward, we're going to continue to partner with various enterprises in order to uh, make this identity, digital identity, more to bring more adoption for, for this new uh, new product. So right now, the we have a the largest consortium for digital identity in South Korea. We have about 85, 88 members, I would say, uh, that is made up with startups, with you know, banks, financial institutions, with government organization. So we have a bunch of companies that are coming together, uh, trying to figure out how to apply digital identity in our daily lives. So we're going to be keep pushing that front on the digital identity side. On the other side, we have this thing called the, you know, uh, we have a crypto or blockchain community uh, where we have many different engineers, developers. We have uh, designers that are, building new type of decentralized applications using our technology. So what we do is we, are, we have been actually giving a lot of grants to jumpstart some of these like crazy ideas on, you know, how to build, you know, on like new type of uh, application or ideas. It could be games. It could be what you would call it, like NFT projects or DAO projects. So there's a lot of diff different projects that could actually be built using our technology. So we've been helping individuals build like actual businesses using our own technology. So we're going to be continuing to kind of push that forward. How would a company get in contact with how to look at how to partner, how to actually potentially get a grant from ICON? Um, or is it the loop or is it ICON for the it's grants? ICON. Yeah, so the ICON Foundation is the primary uh, organization that is spearheading this, these type of grant activities. So the ICON Foundation has been accepting applications through our forum. Uh, so there's a form that people usually fill and to request, you know, submit their application with their ideas. And we actually uh, give, give different grants uh, depending on their needs. 
Um, so we have everything in our form. However, uh, we have a huge, um, you know, com very engaged community on Telegram, on Twitter. So anybody who wants to come and explore their ideas, who wants to build, you know, new type of businesses and application could easily uh, contact any of our members and they would love to show you where, how to get more involved. All right. Well, well man, we're out of time on the regular part of our show. Uh, don't go away because we'll have you come back to, on the pivot to talk about your view of the future. So thanks again for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you. So once again, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My special guest today has been Min Kim, co-founder of the Icon Project. If you have questions or comments or how to get a hold of Min, you can email us at info at svn.biz, and you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back with more of Min on The Pivot. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, my special guest is Min Kim, who is the co-founder of the Icon Project. We covered Min's background in technology and investments and how Icon is an interoperable blockchain network or network of networks and how they're doing things like uh, solving for digital identity and even for contact tracing apps in South Korea. So Min, thanks again for being here today. Thanks for having me. So one thing I really wanted to get your insight into is where do you think all this technology is headed over, you know, we've seen a lot of change. We talked about how blockchain really came up. It's been around uh, for the last 11 years in terms of Bitcoin, but as a technology, it's really ramping up. And um, especially with digital identification, as we talked about earlier, where else do you see things happening in this space? Yeah, I mean, good question. And these are the type of questions we think about every single day, obviously. Um, for us, there are kind of two sides of things. First, on the, on the enterprise side, in the real world, what we're simply trying to do is help enterprises better understand and better protect uh, customer information, customer identity. So like I said, we are laser focused on the identity side because we see uh, the future of digital identity becoming a bigger part of our daily lives. So what we're essentially trying to do is replace everything in your wallet, uh, physical wallet. So first, um, you know, obviously cash has been, um, you know, going digital uh, more and more. We don't, you know, we, we don't carry around physical cash as much as we used to. We have plastic cards, but now we have mobile wallets to pay, pay for things. Samsung Pay, Apple Pay, uh, to do a lot of the transactions. And digital identity is another part. Right now, we still carry around driver licenses and, uh, and passports. So imagine being able to uh, you know, walk around without carrying your physical wallet, being able to travel to other countries without using uh, uh, carrying a physical passport. So those are the type of kind of simple things that we're trying to do, try to solve for, uh, for the future. But the future, I think, is much more connected where, you know, now there's mobility is a huge part. Like we borrow uh, cars, we check into hotels, we travel a lot. We're, we're a very mobile world today, although this COVID-19 has made us kind of stuck in our homes. But I mean, I'm sure we will be mobile again. 
And once we get there, you know, like things like, you know, we want to be able to get instant insurance on your rental cards, for example, and be able to process claims like in a very efficient way. Uh, and by giving up your identity and being able to verify who you are. I mean, these are the type of things that takes a lot of time today. You go to the airport and when you rent a car, they have to verify you. They have to check who you are. I mean, it's a long process. You have to wait in line for, you know, sometimes an hour or two just to, you know, get your car rental. And we're trying to solve that by making, you know, digital identity a integral part of your daily lives so that you can, you know, manage your life more efficiently. On the other side of things, we talk about decentralized autonomous organizations a lot. DAO is a new concept where, you know, what, how we want to live and how, do, how we want to build communities or build corporations in the future is being able to work with people, even anonymous people in a single organization and be a, being able to build, you know, valuable uh, software or companies uh, just because you want to work together. So you know, it's a very interesting concept that you see a lot today where, you know, in a blockchain or cryptocurrency world, we are actually kind of getting to that situation position where we could actually, a, a group of people who don't, who has never met, to, you know, never been together, have, who have never met, who barely trust each other could put their trust in, in the, on the blockchain codes and being able to, actually manage and govern and build actual corporations and companies like real companies. We're still very early in that because like a building a system for DAOs is, is very complicated. Um, and, and there's, there has been a lot of mistakes uh, along the way, but I think we're learning towards being able to accomplish that. So being able to create a true uh, jurisdictionless employee-less uh, corporation with people that you don't know, but being able to build like valuable, valuable products and services. I think that's the kind of the direction that we're going to be going into the future. Yeah. I mean, this is a very new concept. Uh, I, I did a lot of undergraduate work in organizational behavior, and I, I can tell you that this whole concept of a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, is something that most people cannot yet wrap their heads around. Right. I mean, I guess... If we have a little bit more time, I mean, you know, we, we are we already see a lot of this happening today. We have something called employee-owned companies, right? Mm -hmm. We have, I don't know, in Berkeley, we have co-ops, yeah, for sure. Co-ops, yeah, we have like supermarkets that is owned by the employees. You know, like we have, you know, those type of organization already existing today. We're trying to put that in the digital world. And being able to do something very similar and if something like that could be done in a physical world we believe it could absolutely be done in a digital world and, and min with that I'm gonna, i am going to invite you to come back on something to talk more about that because this is going to be another fascinating subject so thanks again for being on the show today thank you thanks for having me i had a lot of good time yeah so you're listening to silicon valley insider my special guest today is min kim co-founder of the icon project uh, we spoke a lot about what he and his organization are doing to advance technology into making your life simpler. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo.
For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 